0: head knowledge. It's not about how full can we stuff our heads full. It's about application. It's about life change. Uh, and it's about life transformation. Your life actually being different because of what we've studied and learned from God's word. And because of that, uh, if, we, if we study God's word or if we hear a message from God's word and all we come away is with some more facts in our head, then we've missed the point. We've actually missed the purpose of it and people come to church for different reasons Uh, we talked about that if you were in a group group this week we talked about the different reasons that people go to church Um, you know some people come because they want to see their friends Uh, some people come you know to to sing and to gather with believers to worship God Um, there are actually commands in the Bible to gather to not give up meeting together some people come in obedience to those commands Um, you know we come for different reasons. Some people may just come because they want to be able to tell their mama that they went to church when she asked. You know, we we can have a lot of different motivations for this. But I want to tell you, I'm here to preach today from the Word of God. You know, we've already read aloud the words of Jesus, we've read aloud the words of the Bible, and now we're going to talk about them. And when you read this passage that I read um, from Matthew seven, Matthew seven is the end of Jesus' most famous sermon. Yeah, which is sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount. And the part we read today would be the summary. It'd be the point at the end of the sermon where the pastor tells you what to do based on what God's Word said. Well, this is the part where Jesus got to the end of his sermon, and he's summing it up. So the last thing he wants the hearers to hear are these words that we read just a little bit ago. And most likely, uh, you know, for many of the people who were there that day with Jesus, Uh, he didn't have that many wide, big, public preaching uh, opportunities. You know, Jesus taught wherever he was. He taught uh, in many different ways. Uh, But it wasn't like, you know, there was a billboard put up in town that go meet out on the mount, uh, come hear Jesus. You know, it wasn't like there was a promotion team passing out flyers ahead of time. Um, You know, the people were there at God's sovereignty, and they heard God's word preached from Jesus' lips. And for many of them, it may have been the only time that they heard him preach, or teach. And Jesus knew that they were going to be there. He knew, um, he actually, because we know uh, of the omniscience, uh, the all-knowingness of God, that Jesus knew that we were going to be here studying God's word, studying these passages today. And this is the truth. It's the word of God. Um, That's part of what we are centered around as Christ followers that we're centered around the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of God, uh, is the message of Jesus to the followers in the world. There are things that Jesus would have us know about the way the world works. There are things that God would have us know about the way the world works. We know from the book of John that Jesus was there. He was part of creation. Uh, This is a part of the sovereignty of God in knitting the world together in a certain way, creating the world And so a lot of times we think about that while we look, oh, God created the mountains. You know, God created the seas. You know, God created the animals. God created Adam and Eve. But did you know that also means that God created relationships? God created everything in this world. He created the way that it would function. He created the way that you would understand things, the way you would process information as you listen, as you see things. God created everything all the intricacies of creation, all the, you know, the pieces and parts of this world. Basically, if you, if you think about it in modern terms, he created all the rules for reality. He created the way that this reality was designed to function. And so if we want to live in alignment with the way God created the world, then we have a book that teaches us. We have words from God that teach us how it is best to live in alignment with the way that God created the world we should listen to what it has to say we should take heed of what Jesus has to say and that song that we sang you know the wise man built his house on the rocks Um, like I said I was very young I don't remember how old uh, when I learned that but I was a kid in uh, in church uh, many many years ago you know there are other things that we learn when we're kids uh, that sometimes our mom and dad tells us, sometimes a Sunday school teacher te- teaches us, sometimes just a teacher or another adult teaches us. Uh, one of the one of the ones that is very wide well known is called the golden rule. Uh, but there are other things uh, that people tell you that are not actually in the Bible. You know, things that sound maybe like they could be in the Bible. And sometimes maybe somebody, uh, even a well-meaning person might tell you those things and tell you, oh yeah, you know, don't you know the Bible says this or God's word says this. But there are some things that are like that, that aren't actually in the Bible. You know, sayings like, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Not actually in the Bible. Uh, Love the sinner, hate the sin. You know, maybe there's some, you know, principles there, but that's not actually in God's word. God won't give you more than he can handle. That's another platitude that you might hear. Um, to thine own self be true. That, you know, what is that? That's actually Shakespeare. Just like cleanliness is next to godliness is actually Shakespeare. So uh, these are things that are not God's word. And as believers, we should know God's word. We should learn to identify it. And many of these things are passed along by good people. But we should focus on learning from God's word. And I mentioned earlier the golden rule. And so the first verse of our passage that we were looking at today, actually, uh, the golden rule comes from this verse. So if you're looking at Matthew 7, uh, verses, verse 12, it says, "'So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets.'" Now, you probably know that by its simpler form where sometimes, you know, somebody might say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, it's basically the very simple form of what Jesus was trying to say on the Sermon on the Mount. He's boiling things down for people. He's going to make it really simple for them, uh, you know, because a lot of times uh, his audience were a religious people, but they were, uh, were kind of kept in check by a more religious people. And so you had these people who were raised up in the tradition of a faith, of a religion, and they had people over them, uh, like the Pharisees, who were the, the, they would say, the keepers of the law, the people who knew the rules, knew the religion, in and out, backwards and forwards, better than anyone else. And sometimes uh, we know from scripture and we know from you know text, other texts, uh, we would read that uh, uh, People would get kind of bogged down. They would get. They would get. They would wear, as Jesus say, uh, this religion, religion like a, a yoke. They would wear it like something that was heavy, a burden that they had in their lives. Um, and Jesus' audience, as he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he's he's talking to people who sometimes might feel like it's a it's a heavy burden to bear to bear this list of rules of religion or this this system of religion. That they were following. And so I think this verse is a a really good way, uh, you know, to help these people understand and break it down for them and say, you know, um, look, I'll make it easy for you. I want you to understand when you go out and you're dealing with people, why don't you just treat them the way that you want to be treated? You know, and you think about that. How does that, I mean, unless you're a, a masochist, you're someone who, who, who likes to beat yourself up, uh, that's a very simple way of, of thinking about how it means what it means to be kind and loving to other people. Now, earlier in the sermon, Jesus laid out some things that might have made it a little tough, where the, the first time the hearers heard it, they might have thought, oh, he's going to make things even worse than the Pharisees. Uh, in Matthew 5, verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, Never—that's a big word. Uh, You could hear that verse and think, "Oh, well, we're all doomed." You know, how are we going to ever do this? These are the most religious people. But he wasn't talking about their ability to follow the rules—is you know—better than anybody else. He's talking about like actually the heart change, the transformation that's taking place when people are actually giving their lives over. Later in that same chapter, he says, "You've heard it said," in verse twenty-seven and twenty-eight, he says, "You shall not commit adultery," but I say to you. That everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he opens with this in the first part of his sermon. And then at the end, he comes back and he says, do whatever you wish others to do to you. This is the law of the prophets. I think, you know, you get different points in the sermon. And Jesus' main point was, it's not about, you know, this system. It's not about head knowledge or, you know, the, knowing the ins and outs of the functional you know, parts of the religion. It's about, is your life actually transformed? Are you actually changed? Are you actually living based on my law in an applied way where you're actually treating people differently, where you're actually, when you go out into the marketplace, you're not looking about how to rip somebody off, but you're actually looking about how to serve others. You know, when you are interacting with uh, someone of the opposite sex, you're treating them with respect and love, and you're not looking with them at lustful intent. You know, he didn't, he wanted people to understand it was more than all of that. Um, So by boiling it down and making it simple, he was talking to them about if you're following God, I want you to understand what it really means to live in a godly manner. And I think that's, um, as we go down and continue to verses 13 and 14, he says um, this application in another way, talking about these two gates, you know, or two paths or two ways of life. You know, one way that would lead to life and one way that would lead to destruction. We look around in this world, you can tell there are many people on the path to destruction. There are many people headed towards destruction. You look around the island, you look around the world, um, we can see it. You know, we can see people who are choosing something different than life, who are choosing a different path. They're choosing a path that destroys their lives and destroys the lives of others. And Jesus is encouraging us to choose a better path, to choose life, to choose to live in a way that you were created to live. It goes back to the, my opening when I was talking about to choose an alignment with the way he created the world to be um, for those who are going to have, uh, you know, a better life, a life that is, is uh, uh, fulfilled in him. We make choices every day. You know, every day you, uh, you go out, um, you know, sometimes the choices are obvious. You know, you, you look at your life and you say this, I can choose this or this, or I can choose between these multiple options. I can make a choice. And you might think, you know, are you, know, are you choosing between life? Are you choosing between destruction? Uh, that's It's not always that clear. You know, I have these two choices. This one is clearly the path to destruction. This one is clearly the path of life. But sometimes we are our own worst enemy, um, you know, if you are the one who is intentionally steering your life towards destruction, making choices that when you look back on them, ah, that was another bad choice. That was a bad choice. That was a bad choice. I shouldn't have done that. Um, you may not have your best interest at, at heart. You need to stop it now. You need to say um, that it's, it is regretful. It is sad that I've made those choices. But it's not about those choices. It's about the choices that I make today. And every day after this, you know, am I going to choose life from this point on? And when you look back over the back, you know, last few years, when you think about, you know, maybe since you arrived on the island or since uh, you entered this new phase of life, have you made choices that were destructive to yourself and others? So we'll come back to that question when we get to the end. The next part um, is about teachers uh, in verse 15 on, and he's talking about false teachers. He says, teachers will be known by their fruit. You know, so what is fruit? If you were with us in the first prayer meeting of the the year, uh, we looked at some of the signs of Christian character, you know, the signs of fruit in people's lives. Uh, And we committed, uh, many of us committed, to grow in one of those areas of character over the course of this year, of 2024, a Christian character trait that we wanted to grow in. Um. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about with Jesus. You know, not only do we have spiritual fruit where you might say, are there new people coming to faith? Are there new people growing and, and becoming more like him? Uh, but also, you know, what are people, un- when they sit under the teaching of a person, you know, if you have a leader, uh, when they listen to him and they listen to what the way that he interprets God's word or the way that he teaches or the things that he says, are they becoming more in line with Christ? Are their lives becoming more like Christ? Are they you know, following him in a way that is more in alignment with who God created them to be. Jesus continues this in verse 21, and he says, you know, uh, he makes it clear it's not just about words. You know, some people who claim to be Christ followers uh, are not actually obedient to the Father in heaven. We've seen it. We've seen people who wear the name of Christ, who say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower— uh, I'm someone who believes in Jesus. And yet, when you look at the evidence, uh, they would not be convicted based on the evidence that's seen before it of being a Christian. Um, they can put on their Sunday church clothes. And, you know, clothes aren't always clothes like this. Sometimes it could be your Sunday church clothes where you're putting on your mask, where you're putting on your, you know, smiling church face or your uh, your pretend self as you walk into the church. You're coming to church with this fake Christianity that you put on, that I'm going to wear it today, and then I'm going to walk out those doors, and I'm going to shed it like a snakeskin, and I'm going to go back to being the wolf that I am. Uh, There are people like that among us. There are always people who, for whatever reason, have chosen to put on a fake Christianity. Um, And Jesus says that, not everyone who says to me, Lord Jesus, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. Jesus describes the people who do not follow that, who do not follow the path of obedience in Christ, as workers for lawlessness. You know, they are people who are establishing a different path, a path that leads to destruction, as we said. And when we read the Gospels, when you read Jesus' own words and hear what he has to say... Uh, you'll find that he was always harsher to people like this. He was always harsher to those who would claim to be followers of Christ, who claimed to be servants of God, uh, and yet uh, the evidence does not match uh, what their claim is. And I uh, think especially you see the evidence of this for positions, those who hold in positions of leadership, uh, and they will be held to the, the, the most stern account. And so uh, I would just, you know, issue that as a warning. I don't, you know, I don't know the status of everybody's heart here. But if you're hearing that word and thinking he's talking about me, I, you know, and I hope there's nobody like that here or nobody even listening online, uh, you, need to, you need to make it right. Because there, there is a stern warning for someone who would wear Christianity, but not actually be a Christian, not actually live their life out in the form of Christ. Uh, and it's not uh, just about the judgment that's to come; it's about the suffering that you're actually bringing in. And it, our lives in Christ, are about living it out. You know, about being transformed. Um, you know, Jesus has called us to a lived-out Christianity. He has not called us to a spoken-about Christianity. Our daily lives should reflect what we say, if we, if we say that we are a Christian and we say that we're a follower of Christ, uh, you know, the evidence for what people would see, uh, both in the things we say over the, the course of the week or the things that we do over the course of a week, should uh, allow somebody to convict us of being a Christian, you know, to say, oh yeah, all the evidence points towards this person being a follower of Christ. Everything that we see uh, points to this. And so now we come to the central text that I want to focus on today, this idea of the two men building the the two houses. Um, You know, the story of the wise man and the foolish man. And I'm going to read through this little section again together. Um, I'll read it to you. And this is, again, that we're starting in verse 24. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them was the fall of it. And after that, it's interesting, it says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus had the authority as God. He was the son of the living God. He was God on earth. Now we only have authority as we teach from God's word. And that's my attempt today is to take and open the word of God and to share from it with you. But this was the culmination of Jesus' application. When he came to the end of the sermon, this was the last image that he left with the crowd. You know, they, they would visualize this. They would see this. And they would have this choice. They would have this presented to them. Uh, how will you follow his words? How will you go from there? Will you go on this path of wisdom or this path of foolishness? Will you build on the rock and the sand? Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever had any construction with building and building things. Uh, Has anybody ever, like, had help building a house or putting together a house? You can just, I'm not going to call on you. You can just raise your hand if you've had any experience. I've only had minimal construction experience, you know, uh, basically like building a wooden deck or building, you know, small structures and stuff. Um, But I would understand, you know, when you think about who this crowd was uh, and who was listening and the people at the time, I would guess that this illustration of building and building your own house or seeing your own house would be uh, much more relevant to them. They would have a much better understanding of the way that their houses were put together. Uh, you know, Maybe they, were, they built their own house. Maybe they saw their own house. But even the simple construction of the houses of that time, it's very obvious when you look at some of these simple things. If you go around in the ruins and you can see uh, the way the houses were built. Many of the hearers of this I would bet, in their lifetimes had seen exactly what Jesus was talking about. They had seen houses washed away. They had seen, you know, the rains come and the floods uh, rise and the houses washed away. They had seen the wind blow and the wind knock down an improperly put together house. Jesus, in his great love for us, gives us a great deal of wisdom. God, in His love for us, gives us books like the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs, you know, God's Word, where we can read the path of righteousness and the path of destruction. We can read and understand and hear these things uh, today. You know, we have this great gift of God's Word where we can study it, and we can read, if you want your house to stand, you need to build it on this firm foundation. And Jesus was, we know, um, from, uh, that he was raised uh, by his dad, you know, who was a carpenter. And so we know Jesus probably had a great familiarity with these things. And yet, this passage is not primarily concerned with construction. It's not concerned with physical houses. Uh, if you read through uh, Matthew 5 through 7, which is the whole of the sermon, you can get a good feel for what Jesus was actually talking about. Jesus was talking about building lives. He wanted people to understand what it took to build a life on God's truth. He wanted lives built in that way on God's truth. And as people took the teachings of Jesus and the Bible that they had at that time, their lives would stand strong. That's the point. Now, many of you may be familiar with perversions of these teachings, you know, things that are wrong. Just just as he condemned the false teachers and the false prophets who are known by their their fruit— Um, There are false teachers out there that would take like this passage or take some of the other passages in Scripture and pull them out of context, pull them out of the text and use them to teach other um, divergent texts, you know, teach false teachings. Um, They might say that, you know, oh, yeah, if you if you teach, if you follow God, if you obey God, uh, then you're going to end up with a big house. It's going to be a nice house. It's going to be a beautiful house. Um, you know, that's what, that's what it's saying. Or God will bless your financial house if you're faithful in your life um, and with the things he's given you. Some of these false teachers might stand behind a glorious pulpit in a giant church building, a giant cathedral, uh, after leaving their mansion that they live in and driving in their luxurious car there to give a message like that. But I'm here to tell you that is heresy. That is a complete false teaching. And false interpretation of Jesus' message. That is not the message of Jesus. Did you know that many of the people who were there, uh, you know, we have no idea how many, but we know some who were there who heard those words of Christ, because we know some of his his, uh, disciples were there, would actually die and be killed for their faithfulness to following the teachings of Christ. We know just from history that most of the first century followers of Christ would suffer severe hardship. We have that in both the biblical record and the historical record. We can read and we can understand. We can read about the martyrs of the early church. We can read about the martyrs of today. Some of you come from cultures where people are killed because they are Christian by people who can't stand that there are people who don't agree with them, you know who, who would go against them. Jesus himself would be killed for this teaching. So this house that Jesus is referring to in this passage is not a physical house. It's not a financial house. It's not a house of blessing, of being blessed in material uh, ways, but it's another kind of house altogether. And Jesus is is referring to life. It's eternal life. You know, every day... When you go out into the world, you have an opportunity to touch eternity. And we know that because the human soul is eternal. We have eternity ahead of us. And one of those paths of eternity could lead to life, and one leads to death and judgment. And Jesus is looking at his audience. He's telling them, you know, prove... Pursue the path of life. We are all here on this earth for just a limited time. And in that limited time, we have an opportunity to build for eternity. We have the opportunity to build our lives around things that will last forever. Things that will last forever in our own lives and last forever because of the impact that they have on other people that we interact with on a daily basis. You may be the only brush with eternity with Christ that some individual ever meets. By proclaiming and living and proclaiming this truth through your life and your words, you may be the only way to lead somebody off of the path of destruction. And so this is a serious issue. It's, It's a serious issue not only for ourselves, but also for the people that we interact with. We are not called to live, to just be nice Christian people. You know, that's not what this is about. Jesus is not calling you, uh, you know, to to be a monk that goes and lives a perfect Christian life just on your own. He's calling us to live for the benefit of the community, the benefit of of the community of our church and of the communities that we live in. And so the wisdom of Jesus is to indicate to these people a wise way and a foolish way to build and the interesting thing when you read the story of these two men, they're doing the same thing, right? They're building a house. It doesn't say one man was building the house and the other man was just sitting and watching him build a house. No, you have people who are working and building something, and that's your life. That's the life that you're living on this earth. You are building your life around something. You are building a life that is either centered on the truth or or is centered on falsehood that is centered on the rock of faith or centered on the sand these people he's talking about these people who are living and building their lives they're giving their lives to a purpose establishing a structure with their lives the house they're building has different elements in it it has things that make it up that hold it together And just like a physical house might have wood or steel or screws or nails or concrete, the lives that we are building on this earth is made up of things. It's made up of connections. It's made up of friendships. It's made up of family. It's made up of meaning and purpose. Every day we are adding something to our lives. We are adding to the house that we are building, this life that we are building. And as you go out into your life, you know, into the world, You're making choices every day that are building and putting like bricks in place, you know, that'll last if you make the right choice for eternity or if you make the wrong choice will be washed away. This week we, uh, you know, many of us uh, gathered together to talk about decisions. We had our student seminars and uh, uh, we had a wonderful time, you know, looking at God's word and hearing examples from from both uh, life and from God's word about what it means to make uh, big decisions in God's way, what it means to follow him. And life really, as you learn, it's a series of decisions that you make. You know, we, when you get to be older, you look back and you look at the key and pivotal, pivotal decisions that you made. You made decisions, and some of those decisions you like, if only. You know, I, I wanted to say keske because it's the perfect Turkish word, but it's if only I'd made a different decision. Uh, you look back and you, and you think, you know, oh, I am so glad I made that decision. Or I'm so glad the Lord prevented me from making such and such decision. Um, but that is the way it is. Life is a series of decisions. We're building our house based on the decisions that we make. And we're making decisions that lead our life either to the light or the darkness, life or death. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, sometimes we think, oh, you know... If only it was that clear. If only I knew uh, is this decision towards the towards the light or is this decision towards the darkness? Well, think back over the course of the last week. You know, think of like like if I could put a replay of your life in the last week up on the screen. I nobody would, nobody would appreciate that if I could do it unless I was sharing my own life and, and, and giving you examples. Um, but if you're watching the replay the instant replay of the last week, the highlights or the lowlights of the last week. Um, You know, are there any decisions this last week that you regret? Please don't raise your hand or call out. But just think about that. Like, when you think back of the last week, are there decisions that you regret? Are there things that you did that you think, man, I wish I had done something differently? You know, are there moments where you did something and you just immediately after that was over, you felt that thing inside, that check in your spirit, the Holy Spirit telling you, oh, that was wrong. I blew that. I did the wrong thing. You know, I took the shortcut. I compromised. I took the bribe. You know, I, I did the wrong thing in that moment. The thing that violated the teaching of God, that stepped outside of this path of life that we're talking about. And that's what life is, you know, every day, every week. We're doing these things. We're walking through life. And in the moment, we have decisions to make. We have decisions to make, some big, some small, about what will we do, who, we, you know, who will we be. You know, maybe um, it was a moment of intense emotion. Sometimes we make bad decisions in the moment because we're, we're riled up, you know, Something horrible happened. Something unjust happened. That car did that thing to me that they should not have done. They they should know better than that. Uh, That's true. They probably should know better than that. They probably do know better than that. But our choice is not about what they did. It's about what we did and how we respond. You know, that official at my university, they were unjust to me. They did the wrong thing. They treated me like I was less than human. Uh, it may be true. That might be right. But we can't control that. You know, I mean, and it doesn't mean that you let people run over you. But in the life of Christ, we have a certain way that we're called to respond that glorifies the Lord. You know, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Uh, when you, The way that you stand in line at your university with, to pay your bills or to go to see administration is to the glory of God. You know, the way that you behave when you are trying to get on the bus and make sure you get a seat is to the glory of God. You know, the way that you drive, the way that you uh, interact with the people in the shops is to the glory of God. We're called to glorify Him in all that we do. This sermon started, we, we talked about the golden rule and the simple illustration that God had given them, you know, treat others the way that you would have them to treat you. I mean, when you look at that replay of this last week, do you see any moments where you treated somebody absolutely the opposite of the way that you would want to be treated, when you acted in a way that maybe protected your own interests at the expense of somebody else's. You know, this, this is the way life is lived. This is the way we're building that house. This is the way we're putting those things in place every day, every week, one decision at a time. And as we walk through this life, you know we are to become something new. Uh, We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Romans says. We are becoming like Christ. That is the calling of a believer. And so when you go back and you had that verse that may have been discouraging to the crowd when they first heard it, where he said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, surpasses that of the teachers of the law, that's what the call is to surpass them you know and if you think about it from a workspace like oh i've just got to i've got to outwork them i've got to out obey the law that is hard but if you think about it and the word says be like christ be transformed be more like him every day as you build that house as you put those things in place as you put one stone one brick After another, changing, becoming more like him. That's what it means to surpass the righteousness of the teachers of the law. It doesn't mean that you checked off all the boxes that you obeyed, 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 obeyed. It means that you actually became a different person. That you actually lived it out in that week. And in Christ, we can build something that will stand. And one doesn't become like Christ overnight. You know, we become like Christ over a lifetime of making these decisions. We become more like him. And it's day by day, moment by moment, we're building this strong house. You know, maybe this morning you woke up and you read something in your Bible. Even before you got ready to come to church, you opened God's word and you read something and it stuck with you. And when you walked through those doors, you were already ready to be here to worship the Lord. You had already settled your heart in him from the day, from the time you woke this morning. You know, maybe um, there's something that we'll hear today. You know, maybe there's something that was proclaimed through the songs or through the readings or through um, the sermon that you will hear and you'll think, I want to do that. I want to do something I want to apply that to my life. I want my life to be different. I want it to be transformed. You know, maybe one of the songs stuck in your head, and the next time you're in that passionate moment, that tempted moment, that moment of anger, instead of responding in anger, the words of a song of praise will fill your, fill your memory and flood your head in maybe in a moment of hardship you know a trial that comes because we live in a world that is fallen we live in a world that is filled with suffering that is filled with trials you know maybe in that moment of hardship you realize that you're not alone and then you turn to god but you also turn to your christian brothers and sisters in prayer and fellowship you know the kingdom of god is this it is better together God designed us to desire community. He designed us to need him, but also to need one another. The community of faith is strongest when we live together for him, and that is the way we we're created to be. There's a thing going around that um, I have a friend that loves these. Uh, they call them life hacks, and it's just like a way of doing something that you've always done better. And so, like, you see these videos, and sometimes you're like, oh, why didn't I ever think of that? You know, that makes my doing laundry so much easier. Or that makes me memorizing these things for my tests so much easier. And so you'll find these videos around, and sometimes they're really simple. Sometimes, sometimes they're more elaborate. But it's a life hack. It's a, it's a way of saying, you know, oh, this is something that's practical to help you with what you've always done and to do it better, to do it more effectively. Now, Jesus was talking about these two men building these houses, and he's giving this picture. And you have a picture of one man is putting his efforts to good use. He's working hard. And if you've ever done construction, it's hard work. You know, it's, when you're working hard to build something like that, it's, it is, it's a lot of work. And you have one man who is putting all of this work, all this hard work, to good use. And then you have another one who is foolish. So he is doing all the hard work, but essentially for nothing, because he knows At the end, when the rain comes and the flood rises, he's essentially wasted his time. And one of them will work hard over the course of their life. They'll build these things, these truths into their life. They will build scripture into their lives. They'll build the community of faith in their life. And when the trials come, they're fine. But there's another that when those things come, they'll be wiped out. And God's Word is the ultimate life hack. It's the ultimate way to help us find a better life. Now, this is the real blessing of Scripture. Because a lot of times people hear that and they'll think, oh, you know, a better life. And they get back to those false teachings that I was talking about earlier. Oh, a better life, that's a bigger house, that's a better car, that's, you know, that's more money in the bank. That's not what I'm talking about. So when I say Bible is the ultimate path to finding a better life, I'm not saying it's a guarantee for wealth or success, but it is a promise. And we are, the Bible is filled with promises, filled with things where God says um, that we will be blessed by living in accordance with the word of God, that our lives will be blessed, our lives will be better by living accordance with what God has said by living in that life with him. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed uh, in such a way as this? We build our lives around the promises of God. You learn what God's word has to say, and it changes you. You become that different person. You become that person who is kinder and better who as we walked through these passages of studying like 1 Corinthians, that actually can define the love of Christ in the way that we are behaving because of the power of Christ in us. We worship God. We don't live our life for selfish ends. We come together in community to encourage one another, to love one another. We get married, and we build a strong marriage Where the husband loves his wife sacrificiously, and the wife lovingly gives herself to her husband. It's an example of what true love is. We have kids, and we raise them up according to these truths. We raise them up in the faith. We raise them according to the teachings of God. We teach them about God's love. We teach them truth. We teach them that they are created for a purpose that their life is meaningful, that it matters, just like your life is. We tell them what it really means to live. We teach everyone, we take God's word, and we tell everyone we meet about the way. And if you don't know that, that was the terminology that was often used, we know from history back in the first century, as Christians would refer to themselves as followers of the way. They were following the teachings of Jesus. And we tell others, not out of guilt or out of obligation, but out of blessing, that we want people to know the blessing of living this life, of living a life that is transformed and built upon this foundation, that it is incredible. That is amazing. It's a life. It's a better way of living. It's a way of life that leads to life, that leads to life everlasting through belief in God's Son and His sacrifice for our sins. And this is the house that is built on God's foundation. This is the blessing that we're talking about. Because a life that is lived according to God's Word is a blessed life. It's a better life. And it's hard to explain you know, because sometimes people to—they want to look at it and they say, oh, isn't the Bible just a list of rules or a list of things telling you what you can't do? So if the creator of reality says, your life will be better if you do this and don't do this, how arrogant would you have to be to say, I disagree with that? Because that's what the Bible is. It's the creator of everything that we know, telling us that if you want to have a life that has peace, that is filled with hope, then you should live it according to this. And that is the solid house. That is the house that rests, that stands up under all affliction, that stands up under all the rain and all the storms and all the floods the house that will not fall. It's a house that experiences the blessings of a life lived with him. It holds together with others as we walk side by side as a part of the family of God, that we are the community of faith that lives it out together. We live and walk by faith together, forgiven and free in his arms. We are sinners, but we are no longer under the condemnation of a system of works. We are free From that condition. We are free from the works of the law because we are free in Christ. We follow God out of freedom, not out of bondage. The Bible is not a chain that holds us down. We have been set free from chains because of Christ. We have set free because of him, because this is a better way. And this is the life that every young believer should want for themselves and for their families and for their friends. This is the life that you should want for yourself, the life you should want for your kids, because it's not a life uh, that, is, uh, that is built on anything but truth. You know, When you look ahead and you imagine, and you, and, it, and you should be dreamers, you should be people that look ahead and imagine the future, the people of Christ should be filled with hope. Because we should think ahead and we should think about where do we want to be in 10 years, in five years, in 20 years, in the lifetime, at the end of our lives. And when we get that picture in our heads of what it is that we're building towards, of what it is that we want to create, what it is that we want to see at the end of our lives, we should have that picture of that solid house built on a firm foundation where our life has been built on hope and truth, where our life has been built on Christ, on his word, and where we have experienced a lifetime of the blessings of having kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control built into our daily lives. Imagine the joy of a life lived like that. Imagine the joy of a life that has met that in faith, that has had that, a life without regrets, where you look back and you say, Well, maybe I did a thing or two that I shouldn't have done, but for the most part, I am so grateful for a faithful God who guided me and helped me along the way, who helped me to build a life that is just filled with moment after moment of His faithfulness lived out in my life and in the lives of those I love and care about. A life where you are filled in in a with experiencing the joy of his salvation, every one of you should want that. Every one of you should want that kind of, of memory at the end of your life. In this world, we will have trouble. We have been promised that we will have trouble. But we have also been shown that there is a clear path through the trouble, that it is a path that he goes with us hand in hand. It is paved, this path, has been paved by the hand of the Father. And so your assignment today, when your application today, is to imagine that house. Think ahead to what kind of life that you want to live. Think ahead to the years that you have ahead of you. As you think about what it is that and you picture, what kind of life and what kind of house do you want to be building? Do you wanna be building a wise house on the solid foundation? Or do you wanna build a foolish house that's built on the sand? Because every day you're making decisions that determine that, that help build towards that. And only one path leads to that blessing of having experienced the joy of what God is giving to us. This, outside of the gift of Christ, is our greatest gift. It's a gift of a life that God has given to us and given us a path to walk with Him. So over the afternoon, I look forward to uh, meeting and talking to many of you at 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, I would encourage you to take just a few moments. It won't take probably more than like 20 minutes and read all the way through Matthew 5 through 7 this afternoon. This is the Sermon of Jesus. It's the Sermon on the Mount that He has given. And I want you to see the context of this application. And so when Jesus is telling this crowd, build your house strong on the wise foundation of this teaching, I want you to see what he had to say. And so take that time and take these moments because it's one of the most important decisions we can ever make is every day to get up thinking that we want our lives to align with the way that God created the world to be. Let's Close in prayer, and then we'll have a, our closing hymn. God, we um, we are so grateful. You gave us so many gifts, Lord. You didn't just give us, you know, uh, you know, a few words here and there. That you allowed through your divine inspiration for this book, this holy Bible, to be delivered to us. Um, that even now, thousands of years later, we can read the words of truth. We can read the words that you have given for mankind to give us direction, to give us hope, to give us encouragement. Lord, we can take these words and we can apply them to our life. And Lord, we want this, Lord. Uh, nobody wants to be that person who at the end of their life looks back and only sees devastation, who only sees death. We all want to be that person who looks back without regret and is filled with joy at the things we've seen God do. But it takes intentionality and it takes the help of your church and of your your Holy Spirit to get there. And so every one of us should purpose in our hearts that that is the path that we want to go on today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As our choir comes to sing our closing hymn,